Hey everyone, this is Ish. D. And this is Millennium Movie Voyage, where we take a deep dive into movies of the millennium, starting with the year 2000. Dana, since this is our first episode, I figured we'd talk about our love or non-love of movies. Oh man. Alright, cool. Well, I will say that for myself, I am somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. I've, I've neither loved movies so much where I want to see each and every one, but I, I've, I've never hated them either. As a youth growing up, I remember just kind of watching movies, not necessarily appreciating the, I guess, the buildup or, or the, the moving parts of a movie, but more just kind of watching it for some sort of entertaining aspect, whether it be just one scene or not. But I do remember that one of my favorite movies as a kid was The Wizard of Oz. And I probably watched that movie 26 times. I remember being in the third grade, living with my dad, and we had a VHS of The Wizard of Oz, the original black and white version. And every day after coming home from school, I would pop that in and watch it. So I've known Dana for 30 years, and I did not know that. The Wizard of Oz is my least favorite <laughs> movie of all time. And this I know. <laughs> I, I am not joking when I say I've had a recurring nightmare about the Wicked Witch of the West killing me on New Year's Eve. So, I don't know if you were hiding that for a long time, but that's cool. Okay. Um, yeah. About me, I have always loved movies. I think my mom is a big movie person, so every time there was a holiday or something, we would just go to the movie theater. I really started getting into movies in high school, starting with Memento, Moulin Rouge. I really developed my love for that. But as a kid, my favorite movie, I don't know. I think I'd have to say like Adventures in Babysitting or something mm, like that. Good choice. Good yeah. choice. Well, um, let's get to it. We're talking about movies of the year 2000 for this first season. And can you remember some that came out in the year 2000? I think 2000 was actually a pretty robust selection of options. You had American Psycho. You actually mentioned one, Memento. Aaron Brockovich, Remember the Titans, Castaway, Gladiator, Green Mile. Do you remember but your favorite movie during that time? The Green Mile. The Green Mile, okay. Yeah. For me, it was Loving Basketball. Oh, yeah. I yes. love basketball, and I love me some Sonali. I was going to say, I know you love you some Sonali, <laughs> my man. So no, that, just, that just totally worked for me. Good, good. Well, I guess, I guess to kind of jump into it, one of the other ones that we're going to be talking about today was Almost Famous. Yeah, that was a movie I didn't see until this year when doing this podcast. So one, I'm happy I did. And what did you think about Almost Famous? I, I tell you what, when I initially saw it, I, <laughs> it well, it's, it's a little over two hours, right? Just kind of minutes over two hours. You know, we actually saw the director's cut, which is oh, like yeah. two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I remember thinking like, man, this movie's a little long. <laughs> and, and just because of the, 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 the type of movie that it was, again, I, I, I didn't have a, a, a complete appreciation for it at the time, but thinking about it again... And just kind of thinking about some of the moments within that movie, I actually enjoyed this movie a lot. Yeah, uh, let's, let's just hop into it and talk about the premise of the movie. So the movie is created by Cameron Crowe, and it covers his actually kind of his real life. It's kind of a, a biopic. When he was 15 years old, he graduated high school, 
and started writing for Rolling Stone magazine as a rock journalist. Damon, do you want to dig deeper into that first part of the movie? Uh, yeah, so again, uh, written and directed by Cameron Crowe. And as, as some or, or most of you may know, he's the guy behind Vanilla Sky and, and Jerry Maguire and those kind of movies. Yeah, he actually won the Oscar for Jerry Maguire, and he used all that political capital to make this love story for rock and roll. Yeah, and it, there's a lot that goes on as far as like genre for this movie. It's a bit of a adventure or journey, a romance, I would even say like a bromance at some point, drama... Comedy, comedy, coming of age story. Yeah, this movie definitely has it all. It's a lot of elements, a lot of elements, a lot of moving parts within it. So the starter movie. So you open up, uh, this movie was based in the timeline of the 1970s, although it opens up at the 1969, yeah, exactly. if I'm not mistaken, right? You got a young William who is, is at the movie theater with his mom, and they're just kind of walking out after watching To Kill a Mockingbird, which was a book that... I absolutely hated back in high school having to read, but that's neither here nor there. In high school, so I, don't, <laughs> I can't share. <laughs> uh, I graduated high school early. I wasn't a slacker, but didn't have to read. But go on. Yeah, I, I had I had to read to kill a, to kill a mockingbird, and so they start off coming out of the movie theater um, and just kind of talking about it. And and I think one of uh, William's favorite characters in that movie was like Boo Radley. Which was, uh, if I remember correctly, he was like a bully or something like that. And it really just kind of starts off with the connection between a mom and her son at the time. The mom, Elaine Miller, played by Frances McDormand, is a single widowed mother who is now raising two children. And she's a college professor. And she's a college professor. She's an English teacher. And and also very strict mom. Very, in, in a sense, overbearing yeah. Kind of with with at least one of her children, and uh, and in that first scene, I mean, it's uh, I guess the guy's writing Mary Xmas, and she has to correct him. Yeah, and little, her son William, who is eleven, but we don't get we don't we don't know, know that, that at the uh, right right. But honestly, when I saw him, I thought he was eight. Right, but he feel I mean he has to apologize for his mom almost with his eyes at least. Right, right. Go ahead, I'm sorry. (laughs) But yeah, so no, no, that was good because I actually forgot about that part. So yeah, they walk past the guy who's, I guess it's around Christmas time in California, and the guy's putting up the Mary Exxon sign, so she corrects him on that. And uh, and then you kind of get into the family dynamic. So it's it's Elaine Miller, it's William, and then his sister Anita that are in the household. And Played by Zoe Zoe Deschanel, yeah. And uh, so at that time, you kind of see the family dynamic where you could see the mom has to take on so much, uh, so much responsibility because, again, she's a single parent. And you see that there's a difference between the way she kind of treats the sister as opposed to, you know, William, you know. And as as a parent myself, you know, it's you get mixed feelings when you're watching this because you see a mom, again, single mom who is very protective of her children and just wants really the best and 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 of course she's trying to figure it all out you know while she's doing it she's doing the best that she can i think that if if you were of a younger generation that you probably wouldn't appreciate the amount of effort that it takes to i don't know be that be that sort of parent sorry to cut you off but she she's cooking her kids like vegan meals in the 60s she is Making sure her kids are well versed in all types of different things of the world, 
But in addition, there is no rock and roll, and that's where this movie kind of centered because Anita loves. Anita Anita loves rock and roll, yeah. and 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 that's important to kind of note here. Is during a time where, you know, rock and roll was still very prevalent. However, it was dying at the time. Or at least that's what Lester Bang says. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll jump, we'll jump back into into Lester. But yeah, so I mean, you know that that family dynamic, and then you got the mom who's who's just trying to figure it all out, and and but then you have a very rebellious Anita, yeah. right? And she is she doesn't hate her mom, but she just wants as any other child, she just wants that kind of separation, like approval, freedom, right? Course, she wants yeah. separation, freedom, but she also wants approval from her mom. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I guess a little bit of a flash forward, right? We, we kind of get to the part where Anita is moving out. Yeah, well, even before that. So, Anita's like, she comes in the house disheveled, and she's sneaking in a Art Garfunkel, or Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel, yeah. Album. And I thought, like, that was funny, because, I mean, Simon and Garfunkel, what I think of today... They're so innocent <laughs> compared to the Nicki Minaj's or the uh, Cardi B's of the world. Yeah. Um, uh, but back then, mom wasn't having any of it. What do you think about that, though? You right. Know, as 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 compare, how would you how would you compare the two timelines between like that Simon and Garfunkel and well, the Who? And... I mean, I don't know if I'm crazy about saying this, but are Simon and Garfunkel the Nicki Minaj of the '60s? <laughs> Yeah, I just I don't know if I feel like there's just a difference with the content, right? I I don't know, yeah. and and this is not what that episode is about, but it's kind of like music today is just way different than it. Oh than yeah, it was, absolutely. And I'm sure then. every generation has said that. And and even like the I message, but it. yeah, yeah, even like different messages, but yeah. but anyway, moving on. Yeah, let's before we jump into Anita moving, it's the big scene where we see that William is actually in high school and he's not eight years old. But, right, and we see that by him being in the bathroom with teenage boys, and those teenage boys making fun of him, <laughs> calling him a narc. They called him a narc. Yes, yes, and they're yeah. <laughs> making fun of him because he doesn't have any peers yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I mean, he said a, a funny joke about I did, but I shaved them off. Right, right, you know, right. Funny Miller, but. We go there, next scene is they're in a car, and Anita tells mom, it's time to tell him. And this is where William finds out he's not 12 years old, he's actually 11. 11, right. He skipped a grade and also started his school early. Yeah. So he's going to have a rough four years in high school. Yeah. William's an interesting character though, right? Because... Again, he's he's what two years ahead of his time or whatever it is, right? And even going through that transition of going into high school, he's been picked on like all his life. Of course, yeah. You know what I mean? And and it's just one of those things that you, you got to give him credit for with with being, I guess, a strong-willed kid. Yeah. Because any anyone else at that point, well, I shouldn't say anyone else, but very few are able to kind of endure that sort of pain. I mean, you got mental health nowadays you know everybody's being bullied or that's a big issue yeah. and uh he handles it pretty well and this is one of the things where mom is great until she's not 
and he is suffering directly because of that relationship. Yeah. But um, let's get through that. Anita wants to move out. Yep. She she turns 18. She's out of the house and she gives William her CDs or she leaves CDs. It's the 1960s. They were, no they no were, CDs then, my were, man. Yeah, it was vinyl. Oh, vinyls. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good though. Good um, catch. Uh, so she gave him her records and that's where William has this love for music. This was this was probably one of if not the most important parts of this movie. I think so too. I mean that uh, whisper one day you'll be cool. I'm sure that's stuck in William's head that entire time while he was listening to music. Yeah, yeah. And he pulls out the record, and you see he just becomes engulfed. It was like a trance or something took over him. Mm-hmm. It's like a different spirit. And that's where that transition into him wanting to be more into rock and roll, not necessarily band-wise, but learn more about it and dive yeah. into it. And that's why I say this is the most important scene within this movie because you see that transition happen yeah. very quickly. Yeah, it happens almost instantly. A flash forward, we see William's a senior in high school, and kids are still bullying him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. So they put up a sign <laughs> as he's walking through the park a lot, he's talking about like how he's still a virgin or something like that. It was just yes. crazy, and he actually laughs it off. Like he he doesn't you know shy away from it. He just like laughs it off, and he's like, "Oh, good one, guys," and he just like yeah. keeps it moving. Yeah. Um, uh, and then William goes to see, uh, well, actually, he doesn't, I don't even know if he goes to see him, but he ends up meeting Lester Bangs, who is a rock journalist at the local radio station. Yep. One, it is super cool that you can actually see a local radio station. <laughs> well, that's something, I I mean, being a kid from New York, they're off, obviously in office buildings, so you can't just walk into them. But uh, he meets Lester, and they have a conversation, and uh, Lester talks to him about... This music, his love for rock and roll, gives him kind of tips. Almost like a mentor, but I think Lester uh, treats him like an equal in a lot of parts. And uh, at the very end of that conversation, he tells him to write a thousand-word story on Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. So so that scene when he he meets up with Lester, I think is also another pivotal part of the movie. Yeah, played by... Played by... Philip C. Hoffman. Yep, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who plays Lester Bangs. And and William meets him, and... I don't know, I guess maybe they, they flash forward the timeline of, of how, you know, it actually gravitated into more of a mentorship, so to say. But, yeah, him taking him under the wing, and, you know, I, I think... And, and I don't know if you share the same sentiment, but Lester has... Even though he covers rock and roll, he's sort of a disconnect from rock and roll. Like, he's not necessarily a fan of it. Yeah, he's jaded. He thinks the art form has died. Kind of what we were talking about before. Oh, these artists today aren't what yesterday was. Yeah, yeah. And and he send, and he sends him on the assignment to cover, I remember, I forget the name Black of the band. Sabbath. Black Sabbath. Yeah, and so so William is now tasked with covering this this concert. And, and that's a very short scene, but I think still very important. And then we, we kind of move into the point where he gets to the Black Sabbath concert. Exactly. And this is kind of where everything starts to unfold. Yeah, it's where it picks up and we kind of see where the movie's going. Yeah. So William goes into the concert. One, mom lets him go, which was Big amazing. deal. Big um, deal. My favorite line in that movie is, 
don't do drugs. And she screams it as he's going to the And then And then the, uh, the rest of the people that are going to the concert are like, don't do drugs. Yes. And they're like drinking and everything like yeah, that. That was exactly. great. That was a great scene. Um, but mom has obviously evolved because she's allowing him to go by himself at least. Again, being the parent of a 15-year-old, I don't think I could do that. So, so he gets to the concert. And, and, and shout out to mom, really, just to kind of touch base on that again. I mean, that, that must have been a very big deal. But anyway, so he gets to the concert building, and he has to now get past security. And he tries to kind of, like, fake the funk like he's a journalist. And, I mean, he is a journalist, you know, yeah. but he's a junior journalist. And, and the security just gives him the hard stop. And he's yeah, like, you're, you're not, not on the list. Yeah, and, and so he's trying to, like, maneuver his way in and, and all that kind of stuff. And he just keeps getting blocked by security. You're not on the list. I know this guy. And then this is where he meets with the Band-Aids of the movie, played by a a couple of good cast members. But the Band-Aids were actually a very important element within this movie because, as they state in the movie, they're not groupies. They are (laughs) Band-Aids. And so one of the main ones, Penny Lane. The main one. Penny Lane created the band-aids and they make that clear in the very beginning they make that very clear and it's almost like a career right i mean they are following these rock bands on tour so i they don't have jobs exactly they're following all these famous rock bands on tour and william meets up with with them and and that's kind of where you see the introduction of penny lane and penny lane i guess we'll take a moment to talk about her is played by kate hudson and just an amazing overall character. What are you, what are your thoughts on Penny Lane initially? Yeah, I mean, this is Kate Hudson. I think she's like 19, 20 years old, but she is mesmerizing. I I fell in love with her as a 30-something-year-old man. And you can tell everyone in the movie loves her as well. There's just something about that energy. And um, uh, it happens instantly. Yeah. And I think it happens with William instantly yeah. as well, if not... At that moment when she's introduced, at least by the end of that. Version. I thought I thought you were gonna say there's something about Penny, kind of like there's something about Mary. Oh yeah. Because there <laughs> always is. There's absolutely something about Penny. Like they should yeah. make a movie just about her. No, absolutely. But yeah, Penny Lane's character is absolutely mesmerizing, just because she lives in in her own world, and and she invites you into her world, and you're completely taken in by just everything about her. It's not necessarily the physical sex appeal. No, no shade to Kate Hudson or anything like that. I think she's a gorgeous person. But it, it's not necessarily the sex appeal and the physical part. It's more of the charisma yeah. and the character and, and just that sense. It's the glances and smiles and laughs and the stories and her making everyone feel like they're the only person in the room. Exactly. Even on screen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so Penny Lane's character, you learn, is actually very important again element within this movie and and you'll see that kind of progression between her and william building a relationship not not boyfriend and girlfriend style but just you know more supportive roles and and everything with that so william meets the band-aids the band-aids get in the band-aids get in he doesn't he doesn't yes it's like you girls can go and not this guy so um, uh, Penny's like, I'll try to get you in. Right. And that's when William meets the second most influential person. Or maybe they're they're tied in the group Stillwater. 
and the group still water. So now you got now you got Williams standing outside. He's he's still trying to figure this all out. His game plan to really get in and be able to cover this Black Sabbath concert. Still, I mean, I, I got to give credit to him because I don't know of any you know fifteen year old who's that persistent, you know, and really has that dream kind of mapped out at that point to be able to say this is exactly what I'm gonna be doing. But this is William, and that's what I absolutely love about his character. The second thing is is that once he meets up with uh Stillwater now they they don't embrace him at first no he's the he's the enemy he's literally what they call the enemy yes a right? rock writer is the enemy a rock writer rock journalist anyone covering essence is is what was considered at that time the enemy and so at first they don't really take him in they don't embrace him they kind of push him off to the side even their manager just was just at that point like get the F away and, and he's really just trying to drive this kid away, but he doesn't give up. And so there is a part where William without, with, without, with, without begging and pleading, so to say, he just kind of lets the band know like, Hey, yeah, I'm a journalist and, and that's what I'm doing, but I'm not like just a fan. Like I know you guys. Yeah. Right. My, and I, I've said this, my favorite William is William when he's upset. William when he's and upset is a big So he kind of has nothing to lose at that point. Yeah. He's like, I'm not a fan. Russell. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, Jeff. Your bang, bang, bang. Is trans- and I mean, he's going through all of them. And yeah. you could see where they're just like, oh. Yeah. Right? And it's like, tell all right. Me more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me more. Exactly. You know, because even at that point, William's kind of like, all right, well, I said what I said, and I'm just going to move on or whatever. And then they're like, no, tell me more. Yes, yeah, so William gets into the stadium for their concert, and uh, Stillwater does something that I thought was pretty cool, which is they take him on the stage, and he kind of becomes a part of that entourage immediately. Yeah, absolutely. The The crazy thing about this this part of the movie is... We talked earlier about how when Anita left him the the vinyl collection, how this is where William kind of transitions into that part where he wants to be part of rock and roll, right? And he thinks he has it figured out in a certain way where he needs to take notes and be that journalist style, that like pen and paper kind of thing. But what's great about this is that you see a different side. I, well, I don't know about a different side, but you just see kind of like a learning curve, so to say, right? So he's on stage. And he's rocking out with the band. He's really enjoying the concert. And he's taking notes yeah. on a notepad. Yeah. Right? In a rock concert. In a rock concert. Yes. And, and anybody else at that point would just kind of be like enjoying the movie and vibing out. And he doesn't really know how to do that. He just kind of knows how to do what he needs to do. Because, and I will say this often, William is uncool. <laughs> yeah. He's, <laughs> he is super cool, but uncool at the same yeah. time. Like, you, you yeah. just, you, you always root for William throughout this movie. Yeah. But what changes is that, once again, Penny Lane, she's standing right next to him. And as he's writing his notes, she just, like, pushes the pad to the side and she teaches him how to, like, be in the moment, yeah. be take in the environment, in. Yeah. take it in. That's how you're going to learn about this. It's not note taking, right? Yeah. It's just being in the moment. And really just enjoying the, the, the time that you're having. And so that's where you really see him just kind of really understand the essence of being a journalist in that sense. But not like a note taker. Yeah. One thing about Penny Lane that they say in the very beginning when talking about the difference between groupies and band-aids is like Penny's the one that taught them 
not to let these men use and abuse them. Mm-hmm. And she's teaching William. She's schooling him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Take, take it in. Yeah. Put it down. She's been doing her thing for a yeah. while, though. You know, and, and, and that's what's that's what's wonderful about her is that she, again, she built her own world and people want to be a part of it. So after the concert, William gets a call from Ben Chu, the editor of Rolling, Rolling Stone, Stone magazine. Yes, exactly. And they'd like him to go on tour with Stillwater and write a story. Write a story. Yes, what... And eventually ends up being the cover story for Rolling Stone. Absolutely, fifteen-year-old kid. This is this this part of it as as you see towards the end, not the end, but I guess the middle end of the movie is almost heartbreaking. But what's crazy about this part of the movie is that William has to put on a facade, right? They don't know that this kid is fifteen years no, old. No, not at all. Yes, that's. They right. just know, right? Yeah. They just know, like, and he throws on this like deep voice and yes, he's like yeah, yeah i'm, I'm <laughs> william miller and i'm a journalist and blah 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 and they even like negotiate i don't know if you call it a contract or whatever it is what i'm payment, I, what at payment the, at the very least they they start off with like 700 bucks yes, yes. and you can see like on the other side william's super excited he doesn't respond he's quiet and then they just kind of give in like it was a negotiation like yes. all right a thousand bucks a thousand bucks and he's going crazy <laughs> right yeah. So now, now this is where the the journey begins. Exactly. Oh, I, I I shouldn't say it begins, but this is this is kind of where the journey picks up in that sense. Where now he's like really torn with the band, and 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 at a point be, where before that, mom lets him do it. Right, is, right, right, right. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Right, at a point where mom in the beginning of 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 the movie, just to kind of take a step back, is kind of like. You're advanced. You're a really smart child, and 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 honestly, it's kind of sad because you can see that she's that he's his favorite, that he's her favorite. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. But you know, she's even like, hey, you can take two years off. You can come back and do whatever you want to do because yeah. you're so far ahead. But she makes it clear she wants him to be a lawyer. Yeah. Or something substantial. She wants him, and she wants him to graduate. She yes. wants him to walk on stage and things yeah. like that. Right. So, what's cringy is the fact that he's now going on tour with this band mm -hmm. all across America. Yes. And he ends up... <laughs> well, he needs to check in with his mom, which is great. Yes, Again, yes. a 15 fucking year old, excuse me, but a 15 year old traveling the country at the in time. Every city, yeah. In every city. And she's just like, you need to check in. Yeah. You know? And back then, there were no pay phones. Yes. There were no like so, pagers or anything like that. It was just... Well, a couple of scenes. I'm sorry, no cell phones. I'm, yes. I said pay phones. A couple of things. Mom's consistently calling, don't do drugs, do this. She's talking to the people he's with at this point. There's this one scene, though, that Frances McDermott says she was away from her son at the time. And uh, it's when William is in the concert. She's saying, I love you. And he's like, what? And she's screaming, I love you, I love you, yeah. I love you. And then she throws the phone. Yeah. And Francis McDermott was just like, that's not what was written. And Cameron Crowe said it was too intense. But that's what kept, they kept in the movie. And she Sweet. was doing that because she missed her son. Sweet. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah. super. <laughs> yeah. That is super, dude. Yeah. But um, uh, so The power she, of improv sometimes. Yeah, so she is kind of going crazy but she's a good mom and she's allowing him to develop into this person that she wants him to be 
nonetheless, they are on tour, and I kind of, I know you like Russell a little more than I do, but he's kind of getting the runaround from the band, so he doesn't get an interview with the lead guitarist, who's really the, the star of the band. Jeff Beebe, which is played by Jason Lee. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually talking about Russell Hammond. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, well, yeah. yeah, I mean. Jeff actually gives. I, well, I, he's, because he's the lead singer. That's yeah, why you, you would Jeff figure. initially, because Jeff is really funny in the very beginning, because, I mean, he says all this crazy stuff about wanting to save the world. Right. And <laughs> the tricks are cool. <laughs> well, but, uh, I mean, Jeff has this, you can tell, insecurity about Russell Hammond, and, I mean, why wouldn't you? I guess. Right, right, right. Uh, I mean, you're the lead singer, but the guitarist is the guitarist is, is the essence of of the band, yeah. man, and he kind of overshadows the lead singer, which is like, yeah. right? It's uncommon, yeah. like. And that's kind of what we were saying before. Like this, this movie is so much in so many different ways. It, I mean, the coming of age story of William, something the going on the journey with the rock band, but the rock band itself and that battle between the. A entry level rock band or an emerging rock band is cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there, there, there's something we'll, we'll, which I, I'd like to talk about a little bit later with you know with Stillwater and soundtrack and stuff like that. But but uh, what I what I like and and you kind of mentioned it a moment ago. I, I like Russell's character, man. I mean, he's played by Billy Crudup, which is I, I don't know if I would say one of my favorite actors, but just someone that I've that well, I've learned you to love kind the of. Morning show right now. I love the morning. I yes. actually love I the, like morning the morning show. show too. Honestly, go ahead. I'll let you talk about. It yeah, I, really like I mean, I'm I'm not gonna go too much into the morning show just because it's not what this is about. Now, did you recognize that was Billy? I did actually. Okay. And 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 only because only because I'm paying attention more now okay. and and seeing. The, the like the mannerisms and, and like the characteristics of this character yeah. I was like hold on that that's that's Corey from the morning show <laughs> right and I was like oh, that's Billy Crudup right yeah. because only because he has a like distinct very I, I again it's his voice, it's it's his his voice number, yeah, you know but he it, yeah. but he almost has that again like Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. try, kind of kind of mannerisms and that voice you know sort of say yeah. but there's something like I don't know, and, and I haven't seen too many movies, I guess, that, you know, star Billy Crudup, but he just has, like, a distinct, very just character, and just, just really cool, and, and he's always smiling and laughing and, and that sort of sense, and it's just something I was like, oh, that's that's him, that's him. It was kind of hard to see it at first, but I, I, I picked up on it. Yes, so we're going to spoil this. It's a 24-year-old movie. William goes on tour with the band, and he kind of gets that interview but not really he ends up missing his graduation he gets a lot of he gets a lot of teasers so to say so he gets the yeah 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 we'll do the interview like right now just come with us on tour to like dc or like we'll come to like ohio ohio and yeah yeah and then we're gonna do it then yeah Yeah. let's, let's just and he never gets it he you can see he gets frustrated in the movie um uh kind of at the very end he's just done yeah. And you can tell and he's homesick. in that New York scene where he's just like, I've had enough. And he misses guy. his graduation. Yeah. Two things. You see your idols, you realize, fuck this guy. Or, they always say, never meet your hero. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and 
I think he, he learns a lot. I mean, Lester Bing in the very beginning is like, don't be friends with these guys. You're here to do a job. They're going to try to do all these amazing things and make you feel like you're a part of it. But you have a job to do. And I think he doesn't realize that until the very end. Well, it's hard, right? Because he starts to form relationships. Yeah, absolutely. As right? he would. I mean... I, I think about, like, reality shows of today or being in a summer camp where you're living with someone for days or weeks. You, you just build that close relationship exactly. when you're with someone every every minute of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's taking plane rides and all sorts of stuff. I mean, bus rides. Yeah. and Yeah. So, very end of the movie, William has to do the article for yeah. Rock. For Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone, and the band says he was lying. They said, I don't know if they, I don't remember if they said like it was a percentage, like 97% of what he said was all was, a lie. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and William gets the backlash of it yeah. by like, I, I, I don't know if I would say his colleagues, but the people at Rolling Stone. Well, they find out he's a kid. Which is yeah, kid. yeah, 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 absolutely, because he walks in and he's like, this I'm, is him? I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah, like I'm William. You yes, know what exactly. I mean? And, and everybody's kind of like looking at him. And then he decides to release a story. Yeah. And then he they just... They say it's a great story. And then someone comes in and says the band denies 97% of it. it yeah, the chick. I, I don't remember what her name was. But... all of it was true. Yeah. And um, we kind of leave off at that. And we can talk about the very end at the very end of this. But uh, what were your favorite scenes of this movie. So things I enjoy, I really enjoyed about this movie and it, and it comes down to a, a list of a couple of things. The first thing is, is that I thought initially that this was just going to be some movie about an aspiring journalist. Yeah. And although I, I guess you could spin that into a couple of different things, I, I just didn't think that that was a cool like, Yeah. Well, two guys from Harlem, right. a rock Rock and roll, yeah. I know nothing about rock. Not not that I know nothing, but... So, the most I know about rock and roll is based off my Jamaican roommate. (laughs) 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 Who who went to, like, a college in Pennsylvania and loved rock and roll. Yeah. So, I I was limited in that. But, uh, go ahead. But, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, things about that, you you know, it's actually not seeing that it was just about a journalist. But they are, like... At a minimum, three stories here. You got William aspiring to be a journalist. You got this up-and-coming band, Stillwater, who who learns how to, like, I don't know, number one, form a relationship with this kid. And then you got Penny Lane's story. Yeah. You know, which was which was pivotal. I mean, it's a big deal. You know, that, and, and that's the first thing. The second thing is, I would say... William's relationship with his sister. Yeah, yeah. You know? The, and his mom, yeah. And, and his mom, yeah. and his mom, yes, right? But that's that's almost, I, I don't want to say a given, mm-hmm. but in in that sort of family dynamic, you have, you got William and his sister who are just like, they're, they're brother and sister, but they're also best friends. And she's really like a big sister. Yeah. You know what I mean? She looks out for him and, and, and she... She just kind of takes that 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 responsibility on to make sure that he's gonna you know flourish, so to say, and and you see where she grows up too, which is great. The other thing is William's progression into a journalist, but not because he's learning how to take notes in a technical sense, 
but again, he's learning how to live in that environment. Yeah, yeah, um, I think he's growing up in front of our eyes, honestly. As a fifteen, I mean, yeah, he, he was sheltered with his mom, and now he's out on the road on his own. Right, right, and he and he just he does it so gracefully, was still holding like certain morale and 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 things like that, and and lastly, I think, I want to say the relationship that he forms with the band, but not not all of the band, more specifically Russell. Yeah. I one, I think he only has the connection between Jason slightly mm-hmm. and then really with Russell. Yeah. I think he tried I think he tried a little too hard with Jason and Jason just wasn't giving him yeah. the time of day. But with Russell, you could see that there is a development in that character where Russell doesn't just become like a rock and roll dude, you know, and he's just covering him and, and learning from him. But, and it's very, it's very subtle. It's, it's not super in depth, but you see it towards the end where he almost becomes like big brother to him, so to say. And he, and he actually like takes, I don't know. I don't know if you want to say takes him under his wing, but you know, he kind of like looks out for, for William in, in certain aspects and things like that. Those are my, my, like my favorite things about this movie. You know, and, and there are other parts that are just, like, kind of runner-ups, but... Yeah. I would say we can't ignore the Penny Lane of it all, because she is the center... William is the main character, but Penny Lane is that thing that revolves... Or William revolves around, or everyone revolves around, really. So, she's definitely my favorite part of this movie. In addition, I would say... Just the relationship between everyone and her. So, William and Penny, Russell and Penny, the Band-Aids and Penny, even the Roadies and Penny. So, she makes the movie for me. Uh, With that, are there any favorite scenes that you have? Or, let's talk about some of the scenes. Scenes that stuck out to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to say that the first thing that comes out is the, I'll, I'll be PG about it, but uh, William being deflowered. Yes, by multiple women. <laughs> so this movie is based on a true story. Cameron Crowe, congratulations, sir. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, no, let's talk about that. So William is... Uh, I don't know how to describe it in this sense, but everybody loves William. Yeah, so at this point, the Band-Aids are staying in William's room when they can't get a guy. Yeah. So they're with him. They love him. Go ahead. Yeah, and and so they just decide on a whim that they are going to deflower him. And they do it in a sense where it's not like completely vulgar, but yeah, and I think they're in Tennessee, and there's nothing to do in Tennessee. Listen, I lived there for a year. Trust me, I know. Hey, <laughs> hey, exactly. Be, listen, before technology, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I, you know, but my dad used to tell me all the time. There was a point in in time where it was just <laughs> there was nothing else to do. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. You hung out, you listened to music, and you made bad decisions. Yeah, uh, you made some decisions. I don't know about bad, but you just made some decisions. Yeah. Right and and so that's that's all that there was to do, and you know it's it's the seventies or whatever, but but uh, so yeah, so they they do it in a way where it's kind of I don't know mystical or you know it's like they're dancing around him and they're like stripping him down exactly. and this this kid he loses his virginity. I mean yeah. to 
I guess, a couple women at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So big ups once again to Cameron Crowe. Definitely one of my favorite scenes in the movie, but not just because of that, but also because, again, just just to go back to the character of William, he doesn't he doesn't cringe up with, with like anything, you know, we talk earlier about like him being rejected by the security guard and him just being beaten down throughout his life, just being picked on. And then you got, I'm sure he wasn't experienced. Like you didn't have internet porn or anything like that, you know, but it just like him being able to bounce back and just after the, the, the scene where they, they kind of do the things to him, he just bounces up and he's like, I got stuff to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got business to handle. They, they make him take out the, their laundry. <laughs> they make him take out the laundry, yeah. dude. That was... yeah. he, he tries to put his foot yeah. down, but he fails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our favorite scene of mine, it was the Golden God scene. So after a argument between the band, Russell is looking to have a good time, and he meets these kids. Yeah. And they're like, hey, man, if you want to have a good time with good people come to our party and he ends up hanging out with them yeah and, uh, and i mean these were all like minors these weren't no, no, like these were high school students yeah yeah, yeah. These were kids yeah. William's age yeah. and uh, he ends up doing shrooms or ass he does ass he does that yeah yes yeah and he is on the top of a on the top of their roof yeah he's screaming uh-huh. i'm gonna go i'm gonna go <laughs> These are my final last words. I'm on drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And William tries to like talk him out of it, and he's he kind of kicks some sense into him for like a split second. Yes. And then he's like, "I'm on drugs," and then he like jumps off the thing. <laughs> Definitely a great scene. Very, very epic. Very epic. I mean, I I kind of like the. I don't know if you call me a big mush, but I mean, you got the scene where where William saves Penny as well yes one of my favorite scenes just because you see you throughout the movie you see that william enjoys or he he has a thing for penny yeah right but it's during this scene where he's actually like saving her life because she's just like oh deed and and all of this craziness that he actually confesses his like yeah to tell the audience this scene william is well, actually, I should say Penny has been thrown away by Russell in the yeah. band. Yeah. Russell's ex-wife, who's his still girlfriend, comes to New York, and Penny has to go. And she doesn't take that well, so she ODs, and William's there to help her. See, now, I'm going to just mention it. Don't hate me, because I'm looking at this from my year 2024 eyes and not the year 1970. Yeah. I hate that he kisses her while she's passed out. On Quaaludes. Yes, exactly. And I'm like, oh man, why did he have that scene? This great kid. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, to to go, uh, and and I don't want to sound like a complete mush, but you you see later on that she actually remembers it. Yeah, no, yeah, dude, he loves her. And let's talk about that now, because that's my favorite part of the movie. And it's this theme of unrequainted love. William loves Penny. Mm-hmm. She is... You I love mean, Penny. I love Penny. Yeah, yeah. Everyone loves Penny. We understand that. William, I think, does it in like, a Like, loves them, And it's yeah. because it's this innocence. He's definitely never had the attention of a woman before, right? See, he's always been the younger kid in high school. She treats him as a adult. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean... 
he's mesmerized instantly. So my favorite, or one of my favorite scenes, there's a couple that I'll mention, is at, at the very end of the show, William introduces Penny to Russell. Mm-hmm. And it is a scene where there's not a lot going on. There's just lots of eye contacts. And Penny is, like, moving her body and she's holding Russell's hand, but William is staring at her and falling in love. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's over the track, Joni Mitchell track, Rivers. If you haven't heard the song, it's a good time after the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Uh-huh. It's just so sensual, and you feel that energy. And then directly after, when they're alone, Penny talks about, hey, let's go away to Morocco or wherever she says at the time uh-huh. just me and you will create alternative lives and he's like sure and it's like actually tell me again tell me again <laughs> yes <laughs> so it, i mean it's that excitement and um cameron crowe says that that actually happened so it wasn't in the script where he said tell me again yeah but he was so excited that she, he said tell me again and she did tell him again he he showed that enthusiasm and also, he, I mean, he was a 16, 17-year-old kid at the time, so you can feel that attraction yeah. with, between the two. Yeah. Um, anything else about their relationship that you liked or stuck with you? So, again, I'd, I hate to harp on the, on the orgy part of it, but you see that part within that, that scene where, again, these, these women are deflowering, uh, these girls are deflowering him, but he's still locked on Penny. Yeah. Right? She, she walks into the room and... You know, she kind of encourages, like, just do your thing, have fun, or yeah. whatever. But he is, like, yeah. super laser-focused, locked on her. And and she just has, like, a, do your thing. Yeah. She you know gets, what I mean? And then she, she just, like, walks out, like, like yeah, 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 like an approval kind of yeah. thing, right? And super, super crazy. Like, that connection is, is just super crazy. I, I, I don't know. You, I, I don't think you'll find that much these days. But, yeah. man, I wish I met a penny. <laughs> so and then we have the the unrealized or unrequainted love not between William and Penny but between Penny and Russell. Yeah. Penny is there and I mean a part of being a band-aid is not giving yourself up to these men but you can tell that she she has done that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's almost to a point where I I don't want to say she got tired of being a band-aid but it was kind of like like she put her she she put something else into like Russell and yeah. and things like that that she probably didn't do and and I don't know the character all so too well but I I'd love to dig a little deeper with you. Do you think she gets tired on her own or is it because of William and him screaming at like I said, I love William when he's angry. Him screaming at her. Like they sold you for a pack of beer. Like what? you you mean like a wake up call? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that has. I think it's all of it. Yeah. I think it's all of it. I think not that Penny Lane was old or anything like that, but she's, and I don't know the exact yeah. age because you don't. Yeah, let's pause on that. Right. I don't. I don't know how old Penny is. Uh, nobody. She's it's not even her real name, dude. Yes, exactly. She's either sixteen or she's in her twenties. Yeah. I, I mean, there's that part of the movie where she's she asks William like, "How old are you?" He's like, "I'm seventeen or something like that." She's I'm like, 18. "Oh, I'm I'm eighteen too," <laughs> and she's like, "I'm I'm sixteen. And he's like, I'm 16 too. And she's like, doesn't the truth sound different? And he's yeah. like, I'm 15. I'm 15. <laughs> that was great. Yes. That was great. Yes. You know? But the thing about it is like, you don't really know how old Penny is and, and, and 
really her whole character is a facade of just something else just greater but it's it's really hard to say like I, again back to your point is it's just like a conglomerate of, of all of it like Williams just kind of I think she feels or she knows that like his love for her is yeah. is is real like a real love and yeah. and something that she Different, never experienced yes, exactly no, something that she never experienced mm-hmm. before right and then there's just the like i don't know like the her getting to the point where it's like maybe i'm just tired of this life and you know whatever it is i i don't, I don't really know how to explain it and maybe that's where that connection with russell is really confusing Right, because you got, I guess with the director's cut, you got towards the end of the movie where, and, and this was actually a pretty cool part, like he calls her, yes, Russell calls her, and he's like, you know, trying to apologize and all of that kind of stuff because she got dumped off and everything like that. And then she's like, all right, well, you know, come to this address. Yeah, I need to see you. Yeah, yeah, right, I need to see you. But he, she gives him William's address. Exactly, yes. Right? And he's like... He goes to the house and he's expecting to meet Penny, but it's William, yes. his mom, and his sister who comes yeah. back because she completely turned her life around, right? She's yeah. like a flight attendant now. Yeah, she's a flight attendant. R- very she respectable. Sees William on his way home. Yep. And says, let's have an adventure. And mm-hmm. the only thing William wants to do is go home. He's like, I'll take time off. She'll and go home with him. Yeah. yeah, all of that kind of stuff, which is great. But then he gets to the house and. <laughs> just makes me think about like like the scene with when they're on tour and mom is trying he to reach out mom, yes. he speak like russell, russell speaks to the yes. mom and she just like she's intimidating dude yes, yes and yes. and she just kind of like set him straight after a moment he's just standing there like in awe yeah. but anyway getting back to that that part of it he gets he gets to the house and it's it's crazy because at that scene the purpose of it was was Penny Lane's I don't I don't know what you would phrase it as but Penny Lane's purpose was to get Russell to really rekindle or apologize or yeah, like right the wrong that he right did the to wrong yes. yeah. that he did to William like she didn't care not that she gave a shit about herself but her realizing like her relationship or 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 William how special he was and, and Russell being in whatever world that he was in was kind of like, she put William first. Yeah. You know? And that, that I, I thought that that was, like, that took me, that took me for a ride. Yeah. You know? I think Penny meeting William definitely changed William's life, but he also did the same for her. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk box office. This movie did not do well. Yes. Uh, yeah. It came out against The Exorcist, not remake, but The Exorcist uh, remastered. And The Exorcist won that month or that week. Uh-huh. The movie ended up not making its budget. So the movie cost $60 million to make, and it only made 47, 47. Yeah. worldwide. Yeah, exactly. Um, with that, think this movie could be made today so in a a simplistic answer i would say no only because or mainly because times are different and and there's probably a lack of appreciation for that sort of uh lifestyle so to say this was again done back in the 70s where 
everybody's very free-spirited. And we are kind of, and I'm not going to make it a whole political view or anything like that, but we're kind of in a society where everything's very sensitive. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know what I'm saying? It would be, a, yeah, absolutely a polarizing movie now. It, it, it absolutely um, would be. Would it be fun to remake? I think so. I would say you can't make this movie anymore because they don't make movies like this anymore. And really, I mean, 2000 is a great year, so I'm happy that uh, we're starting off with the year 2000 on this first season. Yeah. And we'll have a lot to dive into. But once you get to 2001 and later on, you'll realize studios started focusing more on intellectual properties. Yeah. So the Lord of the Rings, the Harry Potters, the Marvels, and X-Men. So I don't think this movie could be made today. But, 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 but. Yeah. They're, they've been doing something very <sighs> recently, which is making movies that have been plays back into movies. Musicals, yeah. yeah. So they did it with Color Purple yep. at the end of the year. They also did it with Mean Girls. Yeah. We are we are recording this on 2824, so R.I.P. Kobe. And oh, also, man. <laughs> and also... As he's wearing his uh, Lakers jersey. I am, yes, of course. We're doing this in February, and just in January, the Mean Girls remake musical happened. So, I'd love to do something fun if you're up to it. Cool. All right, let's do a fan casting for the movie musical of Almost Famous, because Almost Famous was a musical on Broadway. It, it was during the pandemic, so it was short-lived, but it did live. Let's talk about who we could cast. Like, like, a, re, like a remake of yeah, let's, like 2024? Let's, let's yeah. recast this musical, and hopefully the studio gods are listening. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, if they are, I'd like a little cut, but I, yeah. I'm not going to go too crazy into that. Perfect. So, I mean, we can't start this movie without looking at Penny Lane. Okay. And for Penny Lane, who was played... We didn't talk about the cast, but let's do it now. Robust cast, yes. dude. So I am not, again, not the biggest movie buff. I can't say I know everybody industry in the industry, but like super robust cast. Francis McDormand playing Elaine Miller, yeah. right? You got Jason Lee playing Jeff Beebe, as we mentioned before. You got Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Lester Bangs. You got a and a Paquin playing right, this is right. Zoe Deschanel playing yeah. Anita. You you got Billy a Billy Billy Crudup, my man. You know, shout out to Billy Crudup if you ever listening, my man. All right, Billy, you my dude. All right, <laughs> and then you have a bunch of I guess side characters. We have Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. We have Rain Wilson from The Office. Right. We have. Jay Rochelle from How to Train Your Dragon. Yep. We have comedian Mark Marin. Mark so Marin. So I was <laughs> telling my coworker, "Close the gates." Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, and it's so weird because, like, we were having a conversation about this movie twenty-four years later. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, Mark Marin's in that movie. Close the gates." Close the gates. Close the gates. Like. Anyway, we also have Eric Stone Street Eric Stone from Street. Modern Family. Yep. Uh, there's so many people in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So with that, Penny Lane. Do you have any people in mind? I can go through my list, but so it's hard to say. But a couple of people come to mind. You got Sabrina Carpenter. 
Ah, you know choice. Sabrina Carpenter? Yes, I do, yes. Yeah, yeah. Tall Girl, Adventures in Babysitting. She, that's... Oh, the remake, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So okay. Sabrina Carpenter, yeah. I just feel like free-spirited, yeah. you know, young enough to play that role in, in, in a sense. Yes. On my list, I had maybe Arch Nemesis, or at least it wasn't <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo. Olivia Rodrigo's a great choice. Uh, and I think we're in the same lane. They have vocals. They've been Disney stars. We know they can act. Um, uh, it would be cool to see them in a... Not sexy, because I don't think Penny Lane is sexy, but kind of different role, sexual yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. role. Who else do you have? I have McKenna Grace. Oh, man, that's a good, that is a good one. I have McKenna Grace. Yes. Um, yeah. For me, I had uh, Sadie Sink. Sadie Sink is a great choice. Yeah, Sadie Sink, best known from The Whale and yeah. Stranger Things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Cool. Anyone else? Not really. I, I guess Runner will be Maya Hawk. Ah, Maya Hawk. Yes. I had Emily Jones as my runner-up. Emily Jones is good. Emily Jones. We'll talk about her a little more because I think I have her for my Anita. Yeah. But I had Maya Hawk. Okay. Yeah. Maya okay. Hawk, similar to Kate Hudson. Yeah. She comes from a family that's well-versed in Hollywood. She is the daughter to Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. And Hawk. Ethan Hawke, yeah. She is a musician already, yeah. I, and I think she does rock, so that plays perfectly into it. Yeah. She's got acting skills. She's cool. She isn't overly sexy in any way. Yeah. But I think she's got the acting chops to pull off. Absolutely. Penny Absolutely. Lane. All right, so Maya Hawk. So uh, if... Maya Hawk is our Penny Lane, I think. It's... Maya Hawk is our Penny Lane, and I guess. not... Olivia Rodrigo or Sabrina Carpenter. Yeah, I, I would say Sabrina Carpenter, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Nice. Nice. So for Anita Miller, I only had one person. I only have one person, too. And but it might be a little controversial. But oh, go ahead. my person is Emily Jones from the movie Coda. We know that she can sing. Yeah. She looks very similar to Zoe De Chanel, and she's very so true. kind. I, I, you know what? That's not That wasn't my choice, but I could actually agree with you. I had uh, Rachel Zegler. Oh, man. Good choice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Controversial still, but... Yeah. So, I I like... I think Rachel Ziegler has the best voice in Hollywood right yeah. now, so I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, she... I know some people like to hate on her. Yeah. I, I'm not one of those people, but I... Right. I definitely know that that's true. Right. So, who do you have for Elaine Miller? Elaine Miller. So... Hear me out. Yeah, yeah. I got three people, mm-hmm. and I I couldn't narrow it down I to one. I o I almost it, this is drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so my three top my my three top, and of course of an older generation, Susan Sarandon. Okay. Sally Field. Okay. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore, interesting. Okay, I I like all of them. I love I love all three. It's 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 the the passion for being a mom and they've all played mom roles yes. number 1 number 2 it it's the passion for that for that particular role like could i see susan sarandon being that overbearing mom and just learning learning to just kind of like let loose sally field definitely i don't i don't know what it is about her she's probably my my top choice within those 3 so Susan Randon, Sally Field, and, and Julianne Moore, though those would be my 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 top choices for yes. for Elaine. You know, and and of course they at at the time 
they're they're of an older generation. Julianne Moore probably would be my maybe my top pick. Yeah, I think Julianne Moore possibly. I think Sally Field and Susan Sarandon at seventy seven are a bit too old to have a uh, maybe fifteen year old. I maybe. don't want to be a Hollywood snob and be ageist. Yeah, but so here's what I was thinking for Elaine Miller. Miller, Frances McDermott. Also, I think maybe a little too old, so she can't reprise her role. I was thinking, what if we had a Zoe Deschanel or Kate Hudson come back? Man, that is a stupid ass <laughs> twist, dude. That is a stupid <laughs> twist, dude. All right, so anyway, I love that. I love okay. it though. I love it. I love it. Um, and then my second thought was, okay, what about a Sarah? Paulson or Vera Farmigo. Vera Farmigo, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so if you're not, if you haven't watched the Bates Hotel, she's a weird yeah. mom, but uh-huh. she plays a mom. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. But I ended up with Linda Cardellini, and if you're not. Linda Cardellini, man, is. Yes. I don't yeah, know. If you're not familiar with her, she's been in Mad Men, she was in Brokeback Mountain, she was the mom in Green Book. She, no, but more importantly, she was Hawkeye's wife, dude. Yeah, she's the Marvel mom. I yeah, think she's yeah. the only mom. Man. <laughs> Yeah, so... I don't even know if you would say, like, Marissa Tomei, but maybe I'm jumping ahead. Oh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Well, she's Aunt. She's Aunt May, so she's not a mom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, so we have Linda Cardellini. Mm Mm-hmm. Linda Cardellini. I could jump on board. Can I jump on board with that, Linda Cardellini? absolutely. I I could go on. I can go with that. Who do we have for Russell Hammond? Oh, man. I mean, this is just a... It's really a tough choice. I just... I'm going to be honest, I, I don't know who I would say at this point, maybe just like Jacob Elodi, but I, I wish I could maybe knock down Matthew McConaughey 30 years, 30 years and put him as Russell Hammond, because he yeah. would be, I think, the perfect Russell Hammond at, at that point, but uh, maybe just Jacob Elodi, I, I, that, that, would, that would be my vote for I, I get that, yeah, he's been good on Euphoria, he, he's definitely a... Uh... The ladies love him. We'll the ladies do love him. Yeah. And he's played Elvis. Yeah. He was Elvis in the Priscilla movie. So for my Russell Hammond, and we didn't get to talk about how amazing this cast was before. Initially, they had Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt and, and Meryl Streep, dude. Yeah, exactly. They were both attached to this movie. But I was thinking, and I don't think this is my person, but Zachary Gordon, the guy from A Diary of a Woman. Okay, kid, okay. He's older now. Yeah. It'd be a role that no one would expect him to play. He's older. He definitely plays the guitar. And he can pull off the rock star vibe now. Mm. So he's no longer a wimpy kid. <laughs> okay, okay. You said Jacob Elordi. I have him on there. But I think Austin Butler. Austin Butler's a great choice. Elvis, man. Yeah, exactly. So he's already been a rock star. People love him. He's kind of a known name now. Yeah. So he's my Russell Hammond. I like that. I mean, that's great. I I almost wish that that they would have focused a little more on Jason Beebe's character. Yes. Right? And, and, And this way you could definitely say, like... You know, Austin Butler, yeah. Austin Jacob, Austin Jacob, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. I like that. I like that. Right. Uh, and then for William Miller, did you have any ideas? I I'm gonna be honest. I don't know too many young actors that yeah. I just don't. I don't know. 
So let's call it a cop out, and let's say Cameron Crowe needs to do the same thing that he did for the movie, which is find an unknown talent and That's fair. cast them. Uh, That's fair. When Patrick Fugit was cast for the role, he was just a kid from Utah, and you can kind of sense that innocent. He wasn't this Hollywood kid. Yeah. And it showed on screen. So let's do the same thing for this new musical remake that we're making. That's fair. That's fair. Nice. Perfect. So, I is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? Or let's um, maybe jump into our next episode. Let's jump into our next episode. Sweet. So, join us next time. We're going to be... Oh! No. Well, no, 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 no. Whoa, 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 no. whoa. Okay, all Whoa, right. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Whoa, brother. Is it too early to end it? <laughs> no, it's not too early to end it. But we'd be doing a disjustice. Okay. An injustice. No, 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 no. Disjustice. I don't know what the word is. Disservice. If we did not talk about the soundtrack for this movie. Oh, yeah. Let's, yeah. Just briefly. Just briefly. Yeah, there's nothing brief about this soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, There are so many. I mean, we're talking Led Zeppelin, David Bowie. Whoa! Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, and, and he'll probably never listen to this podcast. Shout out to my guy, Gary Foreman. Because Gary Foreman is actually a really good, I don't know if he's a really good friend, but he has a picture, like a personal picture, of David Bowie holding his dog up, which I just (laughs) saw the other day at a company dinner. Shout out to my guy, Gary Foreman, who's my CTO for for my company. And and again, I'm not going to go too crazy, but if you look up Gary Foreman, the co-founder of Rockstar Games, GTA guys and everything like that, good friends with david bowie i would assume and i saw this like crazy picture and i was like he was like yeah look at this picture and i was like is that david bowie <laughs> how random is that random as hell random yeah. as hell so shout out to gary foreman we had led zeppelin david bowie rod, simon simon and garfunkel yes rod stewart cat stevens the who the who the beach boys beach boys <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, we talked about Joni Mitchell. They also had Neil Young, yeah. Stevie Wonder, Black Sabbath, Nancy Wilson, and of course Elton John in that famous Tiny Dancer scene. And of I course, Stillwater. Come still on, water. dude. I mean, it's Stillwater. I mean, anybody in there? So Cameron Crowe actually wrote the a few of the songs for Stillwater with his wife, who is the lead singer of Hearts, or and his then wife, who was the lead singer of his Hearts. I can't remember her name, even though I was at church on Sunday and someone just brought her name up. And I was like, oh, I was just talking about her. I can't remember her name. It's It's all good. Yeah. Nonetheless, let's talk about what we've been watching. Good question. Oh, or I guess guess good part of the segment. So as as I mentioned earlier, I've been watching a morning show. I've been watching a couple of Netflix series, uh, Lupin, which which is really cool. I have been more dedicated and 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 really excited. So I, I wasn't a. I'll be the first to say and and for for all those who are listening, please don't hate me. But I don't know much about Game of Thrones, but I loved House of the Dragon. Nice, yeah, yeah, I love that show. Yeah, but more importantly, I've been watching the or I've watched. And I'm really excited because they just released it this February. Is the Chosen? Oh yes. Yeah. So they've released it. I've been trying to get you, yeah, dude. Yeah. I will. 
I'm not gonna go too crazy on it, but Chosen probably my favorite. So I have been watching movies wise. I recently saw ISS. I did not like that film. It doesn't even sound like a film. I was like, I don't even um, know what the hell. I've never heard of it. International Space Station. It is. That sounds. That sounds like the astronaut's wife. <laughs> and I don't mean to down the astronaut's wife for those who's, those no, that are listening who who love that movie. But I, do you remember seeing that movie? I, I just remember I thinking like yes, we just wasted some money. We saw together. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Um. Yes. Yeah, so I saw ISS recently. I also I've been watching. How I Met Your Mother with my niece. How I Met Your Mother is my absolute all-time favorite show. Because yeah. I am Ted Mosby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Although my niece called me Barney Simpson. Which was weird to me. Um, I, uh, anyway. Legend. Wait for it. Dairy. Anyway. Dairy, my man. I've also been re-watching 24. It's a oh, sport. really? I remember you loving 24, yeah, dude. That's all I have. Yeah. No, those are great choices, man. Great choices. Oh, one more. I'm sorry. Hulu has a show called Death and Other Details, and it's a murder mystery. And I'm only two or three episodes in, but so far so good. So far so good. I yes. saw the I saw the title. I just I haven't dived into it too much. Yes. Awesome. So next next time we're gonna do two movies, mm-hmm. right? Call it our special Tom Hanks episode, where we're gonna cover Castaway, which came out in the year two thousand, and The Green Mile. Wilson, which is your favorite movie of the, the Green time. Mile, which is my favorite movie of the time. Shout out and R.I.P. to my man Michael Clark Duncan. Yes, but absolutely my favorite movie of that that time. Yes. So join us if you. If you're on Instagram, we are Millennium Movie Voyage. If you are on Letterboxd, we're also Millennium Movie Voyage. And if you're on Facebook, we're just Movie Voyage. Sweet. Yes. Any closing words, Dee? Let me tell you something. Almost famous, and I'm just going to harp on that a little bit. Almost famous from a guy that is not a big movie buff. Worth the watch. See it. However, whatever options you, you, you have, see it. It's a great movie. I've had a lot of fun on this particular episode. I look forward to talking about our next venture. Yes. So I will say, and on this exploration of the best movies of the millennium, Almost Voyage is on my list. I would give it a 9 out of 10. I would give it, just me personally, just because I don't, you know. Yes. I would say 8 to 8.5. Wow, okay. I, I'm happy you enjoyed it as much as I did. Did you guys like Almost Famous? If you haven't seen it, watch it. Let us know what you think. If there's a movie in the year 2000 that you're really passionate about, let us know and maybe we can have you on the show to talk about it and tell us why you love it. Wilson! <laughs> Again, join us next time as we talk about Castaway and the Green Mile in our yeah. Tom Hanks episode. We'll, yeah. we'll see you soon. Talk to you later, guys.